Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Christ Central. For those of you who are our guests this morning, uh, my name is Amari Hill. I'm one of the assistant pastors here. Um, man, that is a difficult text, is it not? Uh, we're going to get into it and uh, see what God has in store for us as we dig into that text. I want to remind you that right now we've been doing a series for the summer about community. That community is a mess. It is a messy thing, but it is a mess worth making. Uh, community, being involved in it building it is worth it uh, because it is part of God's will for us as human beings. Now, this sermon is not one that starts with a happy note. Uh, you can already tell that just from hearing the text that was read this morning. And I feel like maybe I lost a deal or something like that by having to come into the series <laughs> with this text. Um, but thanks a whole lot, Josh. But, uh, but we'll, we'll see how this goes. Now, I, I feel like this is difficult because there are two different things that, that will be addressed. Uh, and as you can already see from this text, two things. Forgiveness, which is tough, right? And then also judgment. And we're particularly talking here about forgiveness within community. And we could talk about forgiveness. Forgiveness is a huge topic, and I could address it. We could talk about it uh, from many different angles, aspects. We could talk about institutions and how, we, how forgiveness affects different institutions. We could talk about uh, the legal systems and what, what forgiveness looks like there. But we're talking about forgiveness on a personal level within community, in particular, God's community that is the church. Tim Keller said, uh, and, and looking at this text, he said, basically, Jesus says that anyone with an unforgiving heart will be eternally condemned. Anyone with an unforgiving heart will be eternally condemned. Now, you may be thinking, I'm not the most religious person in the room, but isn't Christianity about grace? Like, am I missing something here? <laughs> What's going on? And, and it's probably best for us to, to, to address this issue head on before we, even go, before we even go further into this. Remember that other places in the gospel, in the gospels, that, that Jesus makes something particularly clear. He says that uh, those who are forgiven little, love little, right? He, he, he talks about how uh, those who think that they have little to be forgiven of tend to love others in small ways, like they don't, they hardly do it at all, right? In other words, folks who are self-righteous people, right, who, who think that they don't need the forgiveness of God, that they don't need their debts cleared, as we see in this text, are, are, are people who, who will tend not to be forgiving of others. 
And if you're self-righteous, as we learn from the scriptures, then you cannot enter to the kingdom of heaven. Because to be self-righteous means I don't need the righteousness that is a gift that comes from God through Jesus Christ. I can do it on my own, thank you very much. But if you're someone then who can't surrender yourself to the king of glory and of grace, then you cannot enter into his kingdom. So you see the relationship there. I think it becomes very plain the more that you read God's word and the more that you read the gospels and see what Jesus is talking about there. So in other words, if you can't admit your sin and your desperate need for a savior, then you're headed for hell. Plain and simple. That has been the gospel. It's been preached for centuries. It's, in the, it's from the, God's word. So this is what Jesus is talking about here. Those who are not willing to forgive are those who don't know anything about God's forgiveness. Right? But if you know something about God's forgiveness, then something needs to change in your heart. And so that's the task that I have this morning, is to talk to you this morning about, what, are you the kind of, of person who can, who can truly receive God's forgiveness? Well, for our purposes this morning, we ask ourselves, are we the kind of community that can truly receive God's forgiveness? Right? We, we ought to. We ought to be able to say that we are that kind of community if we call ourselves the church. So forgiveness, as we see, based on what Jesus has said here, is pretty high on God's list. It, 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 there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Forgiveness is a priority for the Lord. And it's not because we just, it's something that we need to do, but it's about who we are. It's about who we are. So, and, and you, you and I know this. You know this because you have many friends, and maybe it's some of you here who have left the church because of some religious relative who was an unforgiving person. So you know this to be true. And there's some things that we need to understand about what it means to be a Christian community, what it means to be a forgiven people if we're to grow into a people who, are forgi who forgive one another. So three things I want to talk about. As usual in the sermon, there are three points, right? Um, I want to talk about our, our call, our context, and also our center. So there's some things we need to understand about the Christian community if we are to grow into people who forgive. We need to understand our call, our context, and our center. So our, our call is to, is to practice forgiveness. But not just once, but continually. It's a lifestyle. Verse 21. Look at this. So Peter asked this question. Now, this is part of like this long dialogue conversation that you know, Peter is having you know, around with Jesus, with the disciples. And it starts with this big question, who will be the greatest in the kingdom, right? As they're about to go to Jerusalem, and Jesus is actually going to die there. Um, but they seem to just gloss right over that. And they, their big question, as Jesus is heading to Jerusalem and will likely die, is who will be greatest in the kingdom? Wow. Okay. Um, so, but, but, but Jesus listens anyway, and he entertains us. So there's a dialogue. And if you read the earlier parts of Matthew 18, you kind of get into it. But then, so, so Peter comes up to Jesus uh, later on as they're all sitting down there and talking together. And he says to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, notice here that he, he says seven times. And in that day, among the rabbis, they said, you know what? If somebody offends you, forgive them, but you only have to do it three times. The fourth time, you're like, nah, nah, you went, you, you've crossed the line. That's it. We're done. And so, so Peter, having been with Jesus for a little while, you know, he kind of knows the Jesus ways. Like, you know, Jesus goes around and heals people. He seems to be a forgiving kind of guy, you know. So let, let, let me double this a little bit. Hey, Jesus. How often should we forgive people? Uh, six, seven times, right? Right, Jesus, you know, kind of help, help us out here. And then he says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, right? And now when you look at that, you could say, 
Wow, so am I supposed to sit down? And many of you know this, if you've heard this text before, you know, hey, I'm not supposed to just sit down and try to count how many times I've forgiven somebody and when I get to 78, like I'm done. You're like, no, Jesus is saying, keep going, right? 77, it's, 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 like, it's like perfection. It's like, it's continual. In other words, it's this lifestyle, it's this attitude of forgiveness that, that, that it's, it's not like I do it once, and then we're done, or I do it three times and then we're done. But we have to keep going. I, I, this is difficult. I said this would be difficult. We're talking about forgiveness here. But let's keep going. So I think that a lot of us are used to hearing the phrase forgive and forget. And that's why sometimes when we hear 77 times or, you know, continually forgive, it's like, man, that's hard because I, I can't forget. And it makes it so tough. And so what about this whole rule of forgiving and forgetting? Well, clearly, in this story that Jesus shares, the king does not forget, does he? Right? Because when, when, the, when the servant commits this offense against, you know, someone else, the one, the one that was underneath him, the king remembers. He said, you know, don't you remember, like, what you did? Right? What you did, and I, and I forgave you. I cleared your debt, right? So that the king didn't forget. And... Uh, it, it wasn't easy for him to just put this serious offense out of his mind. Now, let me say that this should free some of you right now. Because maybe you've been living under that pressure of that as you think about people in your own life, or maybe in this room, that you've been, you've been wrestling with, you know, forgiving them, but you, you, just can't, you just can't forget. But this should free some of you because you, 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 maybe you think that if I don't forget, then I haven't truly forgiven them. But that's not necessarily true. Because how do you forget a boss who shames you in front of your colleagues? How do you forget that? How, do you, how, how does a child forget being yelled at and spanked in the store just because they got lost? How do, how do you forget about date rape? How do you forget that? Right? Many times, it is hard for us to forget. But that's okay. It's okay. See, when that old offense is triggered, right, what we're called to do in that moment is to uphold an attitude of forgiveness. Right? When that thing comes up, when we remember for the 100th time, what are we called to do right then and there? Forgive. It's not that we forget, but we're called every single time to forgive. Right? Or, or to, ne to never lay that, that, the tape, the record of sins that, that someone had, that you have against someone, to, to count it against them, to kind of throw it on the table in front of them. Like, so, so, you know, so, uh, some of you know about this, whether you, you have roommates or you're, you're married. Hey, did you wash the dishes yet? Uh, I was about to get to it in about 20 minutes. You know, oh, see, that's it. I can't count on you to do nothing. You know, just like, you didn't wash the dishes yet. This is why X, Y, Z, you know, you did this in the past, and, and I can't count on you. See, you didn't, you didn't do the bed. You didn't do this. You didn't sweep. You didn't do that. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was going to get to the dishes in 20 minutes. Like, really, what, what happened, right? We've all experienced that kind of, that level of interaction in some ways as we, you know, developed our relationships with other people. But, so look, you know, that's, um, It's, it's all well and good, we might think, to forgive and not have the burden of trying to forget if we can't. Sometimes we can, and it's great. We think that's all well and good. But what if the person who offended me, what if she never acknowledges her sin against me? Right? What if she never says anything? I mean, did, didn't the text that we heard just a, a few minutes ago, didn't it just said, if he repents, forgive him? Didn't, didn't that come out of Jesus' mouth? Well, let, let's look at that again. In Luke, verse 3, it says, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day, in the same day, and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So which one is true? 
what we've seen in Matthew's gospel or what we just read here in Luke's gospel? Should, should, should I forgive after the person acknowledges what they've done, right? And they say, I repent, or should I forgive beforehand? And the answer is yes, right? There are two aspects here to forgiveness. There's a horizontal and there's a vertical. And so, and so before the Lord, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to God be, and, and saying, you know what? I'm, not, I'm going to forgive this person. I'm going to release them. Lord, before you. Yeah, and, or I'm having a hard time with it right now, Lord. Help me. Help me to, to develop into an attitude of forgiveness, right? Uh, and so that's the, that's the vertical aspect. That's happening before I even have another encounter with a person who's offended me. But then there's the is, oh, now the person has finally acknowledged what they've done, and now we're going to pursue reconciliation. And so, so forgiveness, in this, in this sense, right, confession, going before the Lord, Releasing a person is a prerequisite for reconciliation. Like it, it cannot happen. If, if, I don't, if, I, if I try to enter into uh, some, uh, some kind of dialogue with somebody that's offended me, and I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to renew that relationship, but I haven't gone to God yet with what's laying in my heart, this whole thing is not, really not going to work that well. Right? And we know that to be true if we tried it. But I need to go to the Lord first before I can even try to pursue reconciliation. Otherwise, that reconciliation is going to be superficial at best. But the goal is always reconciliation. And even here, as we look in, in, Luke's, in Luke's account, we see that even there, he used, Jesus uses that language of seven times, right? That, that um, Reconciliation itself is also a process, right? It's, it, you know, sometimes reconciliation happens in one instance, but in one, in one moment, but other times it's going to take a while. And, we, and you have to walk through it together. And guess what? See, and this is why it's important, because as you're pursuing reconciliation, there are going to be times in which you remember the offense, and it comes up. And you're going to say, well, I haven't really forgiven this person. And so then, right, that, that kind of, short changes of reconciliation because you feel this guilt or this false guilt, right? You can't really get there because you're thinking, oh, I haven't really forgiven you yet and we're talking, so I don't know. But, or you remember and you just, you get hot, you get tight and you're like, ah, I don't want to talk to you right now. But if you've gone before the Lord and you've given it to him and he's begun to help you to develop an attitude of forgiveness, then you don't have to worry about forgetting because forgiveness is starting to happen within your heart, and you can continue to pursue reconciliation and not be afraid of those times when the offense comes up. But sometimes reconciliation is not possible. Sometimes it's just, it, it's just it's not going to happen because the offender may actually, may actually have committed a crime, and that person gets imprisoned. So how do you pursue reconciliation with someone who's locked up, right, if there's no way to really get in contact with them? So you can't do it. Or the person who offended you may be dead and gone. Right? It was, it was a grandfather, some uncle, whatever, aunt, whatever. Um, I should have said, let me stop right here. As we talk about forgiveness, I realize that it's a word. On the surface, it could seem like, oh, we're just having a scholarly discussion about forgiveness here. But for many of us, it is personal. And I realize that as some of you are listening to me speak right now, that you actually may get triggered. And so I, I just want to let you know that I'm aware of that. And if you hear something, and if something comes up in your heart, as you're hearing me preach today, and you need somebody to talk to you, come talk to me. Come talk to our women shepherds, our elders, uh, and we would love to sit down with you and to help you walk through some next steps toward healing. Okay? I just need to say that. Um, but but let, let, let me get back to this. So sometimes circumstances won't allow reconciliation to happen, right? It won't allow uh, repentance to work itself out in our daily relationship with someone because there is no possibility for a daily relationship. It just won't happen. But we're still called to have an attitude of forgiveness before the Lord, right? I mean, and, and some, some of you have... 
you, you know, knew others like in your family or friends that offended you, and they're gone now. Maybe they're dead. And you just, but that thing has still got you locked up. That The offense has still got you imprisoned somehow. How can you be set free from that? Going to the Lord. Going to the Lord. Hey, I, you can't have reconciliation now with that person. They're gone. But God is still here. And God is still at work. And he can still release you from that. But without the horizontal, we can still get the vertical right. Yet, many times, in the, in the Christian community, in the church, or in various other kinds of Christian communities, reconciliation is possible. But we won't take that long road toward it. Because we know that it's going to involve a lot of give and take, some pain, some hard conversations. And we know that reconciliation may not make things look that the, way that they did, the way that they did before. Right? And what I mean by that is, you know, you think of some of your precious relationships even here in this church, and you're just thinking, you know, if we pursue reconciliation, what, are, are, we, are things going to get, go back to the way that they were? And they probably won't. But if it's true reconciliation, it'll actually be better. The relationship will become deeper. Like, will I be, would I spend time, you know, hanging out like we used to? Oh, we used to talk on the phone every day. We used to hang out week after week, and I could just talk to this person about what's going on, and we don't have that anymore. But if reconciliation has happened, guess who's going to show up when you really need them? Guess who's going to be there in the midnight hour to help you when nobody else is there to help you? That person relationship has changed, but it's become deeper. We have to understand the call to the community that God gives to us, but we also need to get the, our context, the context of our community. And what I mean is this, that, man, we live in a community of debtors. Which is like everyone owes. Everyone has owed. Everyone will owe. And everyone owes right now. Like they owe something to somebody. Right? In other words, everybody sins. So like don't be surprised when you, when you realize at some point, wow, I've got to forgive this person. I didn't know that they were going to come out of left field with that one. Uh, they're a sinner. And so are you. Like it was going to happen. So you see, well, so forgiveness is, you see why it's so necessary for our community, because we live in a community of debtors. Even this story that Jesus shared, you see it was like, you know, the, this king had, had entrusted money to, to all of his different servants. And it was like, hey, there's, there's one person who owes, and then a person underneath that person who owes. And so everybody owes. How are we going to deal with one another? We, well, you know, we don't need to bring up a record of sins from the past. That's for one. Right? And, and we, we don't need to throw the book at our, at our brothers and sisters as they come before us and as we remember their offenses. We don't need to do that because we're all guilty. And so um, without forgiveness in our community, our community will collapse. It, it, would, it will completely collapse. We'll have artificial or superficial relationships at best. And outright animosity at its worst, right? But we, but we must choose to forgive because that kind of weight, that, 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 that kind of weight that we feel from, from an offense from someone else, from someone else's debt or the debt that we ourselves may owe someone else, that, that weight can have an adverse effect on other people around us. I love that term. Uh, that I'm borrowing from the McLean family, which is the third-party resentment, right? And as they talk about, in their family, they talk about third-party resentment. I like that phrase because what it, what it talks about is, you know, somebody who's offended and the offender, and they're trying to work things out, but then a friend gets involved who is somebody who loves the offended, and they get involved in the conflict, and next thing you know, they're just as hot as the person or even hotter than the person who got offended. 
right? And then it's this, it's this spiral, right? You, you all have seen this, right? So you, your friend tells you what was said to them, and you're like, what? You let that person say that to you? Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me, let me go talk to him real quick. Yo, uh, I dare you to say that to me. Say that to me right now. Say that to me. I'm standing here. Don't, no, no, don't talk to her. Talk to me. Talk to me, right? And then, and, 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 and it just spirals downward. <laughs> and, there's this, and, 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 you know, one person's debt can get triggered by another person's, right? I mean, like, one person's debt uh, can, can trigger the, the memory of what is owed to someone else. And, and if we don't deal with these things, this is what can happen. Like, we can intentionally or unintentionally contribute to a culture of bitterness and division and even violence if these things aren't dealt with properly. And you and I know that the world of retaliation is harsh. Like, who wants to live in that? And nobody wants to live in that. And my hometown, back in New York City, is a very litigious city. In, in other words, people will sue you at the drop of a hat. That's why a lot of people leave New York after a while. Like, I'm tired of this. You know, all you got to do is just you say the wrong thing, sneeze the wrong way, here comes a lawyer. You know, and you're like, I, wh why? You know, and I've got to pay all these different fees and stuff like that. I can't do it. It's not safe. It doesn't feel safe. Right? And, and even in my old neighborhood, you had to be, some of you know this too, you know, some of you, you know, you like to go out and you play ball. You know that it's my old neighborhood. It was like you had to be very careful about who you offended when you were on the court. Because it could easily escalate into a fight. Somebody could call their crew all of a sudden just because you won the game and they lost, right? Or you said something wrong, you did the inappropriate joke when you were out there in the court, on the court, so they call their crew. Or you hear somebody go, yo, pop the trunk, pop the trunk. And then, you know, you know what that means, everybody's gone, right? <laughs> because they're about to go grab a weapon and they're coming back to settle the score. And you're like, well, what's the score? All I did was just, I won. Like, what's the big deal? Right? But listen, it's not safe when we live in a culture of retaliation. And then we talk, look, that's the law of the streets. That may happen there. That may be part of the culture of entire cities. But it should not be the culture of the church. God's community filled with bitterness and strife violence, people distancing themselves from each other so, it, so they don't have to enter into the conflict. Look, I struggle with this big time. You can ask my wife. I hate conflict. I, look, I, I won't touch the thing with a 10-foot pole, but I, I know I'm supposed to be involved in it, and sometimes the Holy Spirit just pushes me into the thing, and I'm like, dang, okay, I, I, you know, here I am. But, you know, staying away from the conflict is also a way of nurturing or allowing a community of, of, of culture of bitterness to continue. So being passive is not a way out either. It doesn't allow our community to become safe in the way that we want it to be, in the way that God wants it to be. Things weren't very safe either for the guy that Jesus talks about in his story. Look with me at verse 28. But when that same servant, who was forgiven of this great debt, went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. Hmm. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Not very safe. What happened here? Look, the man owed him 100, it says, 100 denarii. And instead of having mercy on him, he sold him into slavery or put him in prison, as it says. And that was a common practice during that day for, for debts. That if somebody owed you a, a great amount of money, you could have them be put in prison, and then that person's family members or friends would try to raise the money to take care of their debt, and then they eventually be let out. But you see here, he only owed 100 denarii. 
when a person was put into prison and was given some money in exchange for that, the minimum was 500. So just by putting him in, in prison, he was getting what? You know, five times more what was old. So in other words, the master's punishment outweighed what was old. The punishment didn't fit the crime. So not only was he unmerciful, but he was also unjust. Hey, are we like that with each other? When we try to take justice into our own hands, the, the punishment that we dole out may not fit the crime. Uh, some of us have a deep passion for social justice, but we might be in danger of becoming unjust ourselves. You've got that other Christian at your job who embarrasses the mess out of you, right? You've got that other Christian at your job who irritates you. But, but what do you do when, when she fails or makes a mistake? Do you enjoy it? Do you revel in it? Right? Do you enjoy it in your heart? Do you gossip about it? Do you kind of add to it? Well, yeah, see, you know, uh, well, here's something else you probably need to know about her performance that you didn't see, right? Do, do, do you add to it? Watch yourself. Because you may be doling out more than what she deserves. We have to be careful about this because we are all debtors. All of us. We're a community that is in need of God's mercy. And we will receive it. We'll receive it from the Lord because we're reconciled with him. That is, we are centered in the Lord. If we are reconciled with God, that means we are centered in God through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. So this is my third point, that we need, that we need to understand that as a community, we are what our center is. Being centered in God means that we have to Reflect the heart of God because we are in him. See, there are all kinds of groups out there that we like, all kinds of groups that we could be a part of if we want to experience what it's like to share things with other people, to share what's important to us, to share things that we really care about, what we like, maybe our hobbies. There are all, group, all kinds of groups that we can be a part of if we want to experience support. I mean, some of you know, like, man, some of you say now, like, you know, I've been at Christ Central for whatever, X amount of years. I get more support with this group outside of my church than I do in my church. And that's an indictment for us. And we've got to figure that out and how to improve on that. But, 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 but well, all that to say, it can happen. You can find good support and places to share and be known and all that kind of stuff outside of your church. That can happen. But only... In Christian community, do we exist together in the Lord? And only in the Christian community do we exist as people who are reconciled with God. Which is to say this, only in his community, as we are together, is God also with us. Only in his community. And this is important because Jesus says, about the king in his, in his story, the king in his story, he, he eventually says, you know, this, this king that, I was, that I'm talking about, that I mean, allegorically speaking, is my heavenly father. And all of us owe him a great debt. And you look again at this story, like you try to make sense of it for our times. So and one of the things that's helpful to understand is that this wicked servant who owed all this money, it says here he owed like 10,000 talents, that's, in our day, that's like today's standards, like millions of dollars. We're talking millions. Now, what kind of servant would have millions of dollars? And who has that kind of money to give one servant millions of dollars? Like, who would do that kind of thing? Well, someone who has a political position, right? A king. Because remember that, you know, the, the, the folks in Jesus' day who were receiving certain goods and services from the government, it's not coming through is not necessarily coming through the taxation of the people, right? But that the king himself, or even, even the Roman Empire, the, the Caesar, 
would like would take goods, you know, for himself and then redistribute it, right, as he saw fit. And of course, he had other people giving him advice and that sort of deal. But in our day, this would be like someone, uh, it would be like the president calling the cabinet together and saying, now give an account for what you've done with, with the money. I want to see the budget. I'm sitting at all, this, all the secretaries. I want to see, see your budget. I want to see what happened, what you're doing. And then the secretary of education or whoever, not to pick on the education secretary, but you know, whoever it is, right? One of the secretaries is like, um, I lost everything. I mean, it, this, this, that's what's happening here. That's a great debt. That's a lot of money. I mean, you, you, you're messing up stuff for not just yourself, but for a whole lot of other people. It's huge. And Jesus is telling us that's the kind of debt that we owe our creator. It's the kind of debt that we owe our Heavenly Father because humanity has mismanaged not only our relationships, but we've mismanaged our worship, the right worship of God. We've mismanaged uh, his God's good creation. We've mismanaged ourselves. And so we owe God. And not only that, we, we have hearts that, that tend to want to choke people out when they owe us. That, 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 that's just that's what's going on. And so what... Who's going to pay that? How can we ever be reconciled with God when we owe that kind of debt? But God, in his mercy, through Jesus Christ, clears the whole thing, the whole debt, just as the king does here for this servant who, lays, who comes before the king and, and lays down prostrate before him and says, have mercy on me. God hears our cry as well. And he had mercy on us and he cleared our debt. And that's why we're here. That's why we're part of God's community because we know something of God's forgiveness. And we have been reconciled with our Heavenly Father. Our debt is clear. But reconciliation, as you can see from this, is costly. Because it was somebody, if somebody destroys your favorite mug, it, it, I mean, it's just, it's done. I mean, you either have to, you have a couple of choices, a few choices. You either make them pay for it so you can get a new one, or you say, you know what, forget it. And when you do that and you forgive them, you're saying, I'm going to spend more of my money and buy another one, or I'm going to go without that mug. It costs you. If you don't take it from the other person and you choose to forgive them, it's still going to cost you. And you see this great debt that we owe to God. And he says, I'm going to absorb it. I'm going to take the debt. I'm going to absorb the cost so that you can be freely reconciled with me. That you can go on in freedom and not have to be locked up in the slavery of debt. Another thing that we need to remember as we are centered, a community that is centered in God, that is reconciled with him, is that we're family now. We're connected to one another. And so this is why Jesus said, and this is why Paul, you know, Peter even uses the language like, what if my brother does this, right? You see, he used that language, what if my brother does this? What if my sister does this? We're family. So we ought to behave differently with one another because we are reconciled together in God through Jesus Christ. But not only that, as I alluded to earlier, it's not just about you and me. It's, it's not just us in here trying to figure this out, but God is with us. We're not alone. See, some of you right now are just like, I, I, I can't, uh, I'm, I'm locked up. I, I, you know, I've offended someone and they won't let it go. I'm trying to pursue reconciliation, but I, I don't know what's happening here. Every time I try, I mess up. It's been one time, two times, three times, four times, seven times. Each time I've said, I repent, I'm trying, right? But they, it's like, but they're holding me. They're somehow they've put me in prison to, until I can pay this thing. Rather than being free to live alongside them as someone who has been 
free through Jesus Christ. And then what that person who's holding you needs to remember is that it's not, it's not just up to them to figure out how the two of you can make, it, make things better and be reconciled and make sure your relationship becomes deeper. But God himself is at work. And if they would trust him, just as you are being called to trust him, God will work it out. But we have to trust him. We have to rest in the process. We have to let God do his work as we ourselves over and over again, seven times, eight times, 77 times, 88 times say, I forgive you and I repent. Is God true to his word? Will he do it as we submit to him by his grace? Jesus is saying, yes, he'll do it. But remember, things may not go back to the way that they were before, but it'll be deeper. It'll be better. Because we belong to God, we cannot call ourselves a Christian community without submitting to Jesus Christ. And because we are centered in him, we must love one another. But what about our non-Christian neighbors? What do we do about them? There's a whole lot of talk about this community. It's the mess worth making, right? The, the, the church. But what about my neighbors who don't yet know Jesus and aren't connected to him? How am I supposed to treat them, right? Well, that's kind of like the old, the old question of the Good Samaritan, right? Like, who is my neighbor? I mean, you look at Jesus' love, it always overflowed. I mean, Jesus went around blessing people regardless of their affiliation to him, right? It, and that's how it should be with us. So we don't limit a forgiving love to our brothers and those who call themselves brothers and sisters, but we give it to everybody. But it has to begin with us. It has to begin with those who call upon the name of the Lord and those who we call brother and sister. And as it, as it happens there, then the, the overflow, this is where we have to trust God that the overflow will come and we'll be able to give that away to our neighbors who don't yet know Jesus. So we don't have to limit it to just the church. Many have said this, by the way, that there's nothing that creates a craving for heaven like Christians who learn how to love one another. There's, there's nothing that creates a craving for heaven. Like, if you, th you think about non-Christian friends, like, it, when they see Christians loving one another, like, this is one of the things. So, like, how many times do, you know, do people go on, on social media and go on the internet and they see Christians just, you know, shooting at each other? Like, it's just ridiculous. Well, why do I need that? Right? I can, I can share and find support over here. I don't need the church. Like, if that's, and God's supposed to be in the midst of all that, I don't need that. This is a whole lot better. Just, you guys go on, take your church thing, and, just, you know, do you. Right? But when they see Christians, regardless of their, what denomination you're a part of, right? And, and some of us have, like, you know, we, like, joke around. So, oh, this, this person in that denomination, this person, that they believe that, blah, 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 and, and make jokes and cut them down. It, be careful with some of that. Love one another. This is what the Lord is saying. Because that is a winsome witness right, to those who are watching. So we're called to forgive. And we're called to pursue reconciliation. We also live in a world where uh, we're always indebted or we're clearing our debt. And we're, we're centered in, in a forgiving God who wants us to reflect his love for sinners. His love for those who owe the illustration is shared often of a judge who has a defendant in this courtroom. And that defendant is facing an impossible sentence. But the judge says, you're going to be acquitted. And here's how it's going to happen. I'm transferring your sentence to others who are already serving a sentence and then I'm going to take it one step further. I'm going to use my record, which is clear, and I'm going to share it with you so that you'll be exonerated and your record will be clear. 
and defendants like, this is awesome. I can't believe this. Like, what? Like, not, not only am, am I set free from my, from my debt, from what I owe, but I, I also have a clean record as, as, as if I haven't done anything. This is incredible. Then the judge says, hold on, hold on one second. Takes off his robe, comes down, and says, you're coming home with me. That's what God has done for you and me. The hymn says, how something like how great a debt of love to him I owe. What God has done for us is incredible. How can we not forgive when we have experienced that kind of love from our Heavenly Father? But Jesus Christ himself was the one who disrobed himself of his glory and came down as as one of us, and lost everything that he had so that we could enjoy eternal reconciliation with God. Right? I just remember it now. The hymn says, tears of grief could never repay the debt of love that I owe. Right? When, when the love of God sinks down into your heart, how can you go on with grudges, and exclusion, and revenge. I mean, this is why we confess our sins openly. This is why we do that in the middle of a worship service, and why we re- so that we can receive the gift of our King. And in order for, the, and in order for the, these things, this, this whole concept, if you will, of forgiveness, to go from our minds to our hearts, we literally have to know God's forgiveness in our bodies. We have to feel it. We have to use our mouths and our ears in public confession as we hear our brothers and sisters around us saying how much they need the forgiveness of God, just like we do too. And we are all debtors together, but we know the one who has cleared our debt by grace. And we go to him with empty hands saying, Lord, fill us. When we do this together, we need to feel it. And here's the other thing that happens. So there's a theologian, Christine Pohl, she says this, that communities that love truth will make a safe place for the awkwardness of confession, forgiveness, and healing. Where truthfulness and confession are practiced, communities depend on fidelity, trust, right? The assurance that members won't abandon one another as they reveal their sins and weaknesses and move toward maturity. And holiness, truthful communities are communities of encouragement and hospitality. We at the bottom of it all, forgiveness is about helping one another to trust in the Lord. And then we trust each other with our weaknesses. We confess openly and we allow God to be at work through each other. We actually get to sense the forgiveness of God through actual people as they challenge us and as they remind us of the Lord's heart for sinners. And this happens as we openly confess our sins at home, whether it be to our children, our spouses, our roommates, right? And and in our community groups, as we do it, and sometimes this is needed, or we, we do it in, in our recovery groups, or, or if needed, with your therapist, right? That other person sitting on the other side of you, to whom you're sharing, you're confessing, had, then has the opportunity to reflect the heart of God to you. And you actually sense the forgiveness of God through someone else's body. That's how it gets from here to here, right? And then... As we allow those things to happen, as we put ourselves into those spaces, as we trust God enough to be, to be truthful about who we are, that we indeed are debtors and we are in need of forgiveness, as we trust God in, in that and re- re- release ourselves and we come before each other and trust in that God himself will be at work to grant us and to help us to know his forgiveness in deeper ways, as we do that, we'll be set free to be a people who can together pray from the heart 
a popular prayer from Francis of Assisi, which says this, Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are holy. And you show us your holiness by your everlasting grace and love for debtors. You show us your holiness by the costly grace of Jesus' work. You show us your holiness by making a way, breaking through for the sake of our humanity. That our souls would not shrivel up under bitterness and regret and grudges and revenge. But our souls indeed would be expanded because of eternal life and love and your spirit. Holy is your name. And even now, God, we may recall people that we have not set free because we want judgment. We want retaliation. We want it now. We want it our way. But God, you have not dealt that way with us even though you should have and could have and no one would have blamed you. When you've forgiven us, Lord, it's hard. You call us to be like you. To be holy as you are holy. So we ask now that you would come by your spirit. Set us free. That we could be that beautiful community that you desire for the entire world to see. That they may know that Jesus Christ is indeed your son. And the one that you have sent to redeem the entire world. Help us, oh God. Not because we are righteous in and of ourselves. No, God. But because you have given us your righteousness. And you call us your family. You have made us your own. We pray these things, oh God. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.